0: Welcome to of Faith Radio. When it comes to the message of faith, there's the legal side and there's the vital side. The vital side is how to appropriate, how to experience what belongs to us in Christ, how to use our faith. The dynamics of that, how faith works. But the legal side is the basis of it. If we only talk about the vital side and not the legal side, then we're going to get into faith is going to turn into just nothing but a bunch of formulas and that's not what it is praise god
1: welcome to Fate radio right now let's join reverend talks with today's message the reality of the indwelling of the holy spirit
0: good day everyone welcome once again to our broadcast and we've been studying about the highest kind of faith and looking at what produces this highest type of faith what produces it we took as a general text romans chapter 10 from verse 6 to verse 10 what the bible says the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise say not in thine heart who shall ascend to heaven to bring christ again from above who shall descend to the deep to bring christ again from the dead but what seeth it The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thine heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So we said this, that, but also... Uh, the same way there's a, a, a legal side. If we talk just about the legal side and we don't let people know the vital side, how to appropriate what is theirs in Christ, then the folks are going to know who they are, you know, know what is theirs legally, but they won't know how to experience those things. So you see, it takes us teaching both sides and presenting a balanced perspective. Praise the Lord. Now, in this study, we've been Concentrating on that legal side, the basis of faith, the the which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, who we are in Him, what His death, burial, and resurrection means, what that substitutionary sacrifice has made available to us, what God did for us in Christ and the great plan of redemption, what God did in us in the new birth and in the baptism in the Holy Ghost. So we've been looking at that. You now the very first. In this series, we talked about the integrity of God's word, the integrity of God's word. And then in the second, um, in the series, we talked about the reality of our redemption. The fact that our redemption is not a mere uh, dogma or a mere doctrine, but an actual redemption from the devil's dominion. It's ours now. Praise the Lord. Then the third In the series, we looked at the reality of the new creation. Second Corinthians 517, we're new creatures in Christ. We need to know that, we need to understand that, we need to act upon that and know the reality thereof, the reality of the new creation. Then the fourth, We talked about the reality of our righteousness, how on the grounds of the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ, the believer has been made the very righteousness of God, and we can stand in God's presence without a consciousness of sin, of guilt, of inferiority, as though sin never did exist. Well, this is the fifth in the series, and what we wanna look at is the reality of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit the reality of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And I want to read for a text, First Corinthians chapter three. 1 Corinthians chapter three. 1 Corinthians chapter three. And in verse 16, 1 Corinthians 3.16, the Bible says, know ye not, what? Know ye not that uh, ye yeah, are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. So, Paul is writing to the saints at Corinth, and he's telling them, guys, don't you know you are the temple of God? Don't you know the Spirit of God dwells in you? So I wanna look at, like I said, in this fifth, uh, in the series, the reality of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit the reality of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Let's start with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you because it's spirit, it is life. Your word is alive. Thank you because you say what you mean and you mean what you say. Thank you because we are who you say we are. We have what you say we have and we can do what you say we can do as we feed upon your word once again today, we trust that by your spirit, you open it up to our spirits and we mix faith with that word. We go out in life's fight and we win. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. So, the reality of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, Jesus said, and I'll pray the Father, and he'll give to you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. So Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit that was gonna come to be on the inside of us. Now the epistles, which are the letters written to the church, were written to people who not only were born again, but also had been filled with the Holy Ghost. In the Acts of the Apostles, it was the norm to see to it that people are not only born again, but that they also filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, the new birth, we're born of the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is in our spirits. Romans 8 tells us, uh, verse 14 through to 16, bearing witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. And that's the same for every person who's born again. But there's an experience subsequent to the new birth called the baptism in the Holy Ghost. And that same spirit of God that we uh, got acquainted with at our new birth, we now get filled with him. And in the Acts of the Apostles, there were five instances where people got filled with the Holy Ghost. We notice that the baptism in the Holy Ghost is subsequent to the new birth, and we also see that there's an initial evidence, which is the evidence of speaking in other tongues. In Acts chapter 2, from verse 1 to 4, the Bible says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all together with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting, and they prayed unto them, cloven tongues like as of fire and it sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We read in Acts chapter 8 from verse 14 to 17, where the Bible says, And when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they had come, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost, for as yet it was fallen upon none of them. And then laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. We see that in Acts eight seventeen, Those folks received the Holy Ghost. It was subsequent to the new birth. They had received Jesus. Then we see in Acts chapter nine, Verse 17, where it says, And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared to thee on the way, as thou camest, that sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight, and be filled with the Holy Ghost. So, Paul, on his way to Damascus, Saul, as it was called then, he had an encounter with Jesus. He called Jesus, Lord. And then he said, What will you have me do? Obviously, he must have gotten saved at that time. So, Jesus now sends this disciple called Ananias, appears to Ananias, tells him to go get Saul of Tarsus to receive his sight and to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, 18, I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than ye all." Well, when did he start? He might have started when the rest of us did and when the rest of them did, when he got filled with the Holy Ghost. Then we see in Acts chapter 10, from verse 44 through to 46, talking about um, when Peter was in Cornelius' house, where the Bible says, "'As Peter yet spake the word, "'the Holy Ghost fell on all them that heard, "'and they that were of the circumcision, "'which believed as many as came with Peter, "'were astonished that on the uncircumcision also "'was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. "'For they heard them speak with tongues, and magnify God. So, those folks got filled with the Holy Ghost and they spoke in tongues. Then we see also in Acts 19, from verse one through the six, where it says, and while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came unto Ephesus, finding certain disciples, said unto them, have ye received the Holy Ghost, since ye believed? They said, have not so much as heard, whether there be any Holy Ghost. Said unto what then were ye baptized? Said unto John's baptism. He said, John, verily baptized, saying they should believe on him that's to come after him that is to believe on Jesus. The Bible says they believed that they were baptized in the name of Jesus. Verse six says, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. So it was the norm in the early church for believers to uh, not only have been uh, saved and have received Jesus at the new birth, but also to be filled with the Holy Ghost. So the epistles were written to folks who were born again and filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, Paul was writing, like we read in our text, in 1 Corinthians 3.16, to these believers at Corinth. And he said to them, 1 Corinthians 3.16, "'Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, "'and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you.'" See, God wants us to know that. He wants us to know that we're God's temple. He wants us to know that the Spirit of God dwells in us. He had said that then, but he wasn't sure he had gotten it. So he wrote them again in the same epistle, 1 Corinthians chapter six, in the sixth chapter, the 19th and 20th verses. He said, what, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So he's saying, guys, what are you telling me? Don't you know you're the temple of God? Don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Listen, of all the truths in connection with our redemption, this is the climax, that God himself, after he had recreated our spirits and imparted his life into our spirits, now comes to dwell in us and to make our bodies his home. We've got God on the inside of us. And God wants us to be God inside minded. Amen. He wants us to know that he's living in us. He wants us to know that he's dwelling in us. Uh, Like those Corinthian uh, believers, that knowledge that God lives in us is going to affect us in at least two ways. One, is going to help our faith. It's going to boil up our faith. It's going to make us fearless. And secondly, it's going to help our obedience. See, God's temple is not merely the building where you worship. You know, sometimes they call a building a house of God. And yes, in the sense of that building being dedicated to the worship of God, we could call it a house of God. But that building is no more... Uh, the house of God, and I'm an astronaut. That The building is not the house of God. In the Old Testament, God dwelt in earth-made tabernacles. God dwelt in his presence. The Shekinah glory was shut up in the Holy of Holies. But when Jesus on the cross, John 1930, said, it is finished, the veil that separated that holy of holies from the holy place, that curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. Uh, According to the famous Jewish historian Flavius Josephus, that curtain was uh, 40 feet wide. It was 20 feet high and it was four inches thick. So some heavenly emissary must have gone up there and ripped that thing in two from top to bottom, indicating that God's presence will no longer dwell in such uh, tabernacles. Now His presence is in us. You see, the knowledge of the fact that my body is His temple is going to help me to live in a way that glorifies God, to present my body to Him, and to glorify God both in my body and in my spirit, which are His. You see, God lives in us. God dwells in us, and I wonder what He's doing in us. Is He just in us as excess baggage, or just as a squatter squatting through life? Is that what? He's doing in us is he just in us because he couldn't find somewhere else to stay and he's like you guys i, 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 I beg i i, I managed with you small i he squat with you is he in us as a squatter certainly not well what is god doing in us he's in us to put us over he's in us to make us a success he's in us to enable us praise god to help us to live a victorious life on this earth Now Paul still wasn't sure that those folks had gotten a hold of the truth, so he wrote them another epistle. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, from verse 14 through to 16, we read where the Bible says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? And now goes on to say, For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them. I will walk in them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. You see, in that scripture, the believer is called he that believeth. So he's talking about the individual believer. He's called he that believeth. The unbeliever is called an infidel. Now, that individual believer is called righteousness. What about calling yourself righteousness? Because you see, that's who you are. We're righteousness. The unbeliever is called unrighteousness. The believer is called Christ's. God calls us Christ. That's what you are. Now, of course, you know, it's all of us together that constitutes the body of Christ. But the individual believer, too, is also called Christ. Your head doesn't bear one name and your body another. Jesus is the head. We are members of his body. Praise God. Christ, the believer, he that believeth is called Christ. The unbeliever is called Belial. (laughs) The individual believer is called Light. The unbeliever is called darkness. What about calling yourself light? See the Bible says you are sometimes darkness, but you are now light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You are light in the Lord. We are light. The unbeliever is darkness. Praise God. The believer is called the temple of God. Listen, you are God's temple. You are his sanctuary. All of us collectively, we are the temple of God, as well as each of us individually, we are God's temple. He lives in us. He makes his home in us. He makes his abode in us. And like that place said, he said, uh, for ye are the temple, 2 Corinthians 6.16, for ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them. I will walk in them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. See, God is living on the inside of us. God is dwelling on the inside of us. And the God who's in us is bigger than any test. He's bigger than any trial. He's bigger than any circumstance, than any challenge that could ever come up against us. In the Old Testament, There were two relations that God sustained towards Israel. First, God was for Israel. And because God was for them, as long as they cooperated with him, they were undefeated. They were victorious in battle in whatever challenge that came against them. Now, in the new covenant, God is also for us. Romans 8.31 says, if God be for us, who can be against us? You see, it doesn't matter who is against you. If God is for you, no one can successfully be against you. God being for us, guarantees our success. God is for us, he's on our side. He's not against us, he's for us. Whoa, glory to God. That shouting ground right there. But not only was God for Israel, and not only is God for the church, God was with Israel as well. He was with them in Isaiah 41.10. The Bible says, fear thou not, for I am with thee. He says, be not dismayed, for I am thy God. It says, I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee, with the right hand of my righteousness. You know, sometimes some folks say, well, I'm just so weak. God says he will strengthen you. It says, I'm just helpless. He said, I will help you. He said, I'm not just sure I can hold out to the end. He says, I will uphold you, with the right hand of my righteousness. You see, there's no way you can be afraid except you doubt that God is with you, or you don't know that God is with you. You don't have to be dismayed. You don't have to be afraid. Why? Because God is with us. Yes, it was with Israel. But you know what? In the New Testament, God is with the church too. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. The Bible says there that let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. The Amplified classic on that says, I will never, I will never, I will never. It's read it three times. Leave you nor forsake thee. It says, so that we may boldly say, so that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me you see that's how we can say that boldly he's our helper he's with us he's with us to help us he's with us to put us over glory to God so God was for Israel just like he's for the church God was with Israel and he's with us too in the New Testament he's with the church with us as a body of believers and with us as individuals but it even gets better God is in us. It wasn't in Israel. Their spirits were unregenerate. God couldn't dwell in them. But in the New Testament, our spirits have been reborn. Our spirits have been recreated. And there's a real incarnation in the new birth. God is yet made manifest in the flesh, in the new creature, in us as believers. God is making his home in us. God is making his abode in us. 1 John 4.4 it says, ye are of God, little children. See, and that's our genealogy in four words. Ye are of God. Ye are of God. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. You see, we're not trying to overcome the devil. We're not trying to overcome tests and trials. We're not trying to overcome adverse circumstances. It says, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them and have overcome them why have we overcome satan and his cohorts because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world you see god is in us he is in us to put us over he is in us to make us a success he's bigger than any test he's bigger than any trial he's bigger than any circumstance he's bigger than any situation It should be commonplace for believers to say that. You wake up in the morning and you say, thank God, I've got the victory today. Because the greater one is in me. The master of creation is in me. The all-knowing God is in me. The all-wise one is in me. No matter the obstacle, no matter the test, no matter the trial, we should talk that way. You see, by believing that and by confessing that, that's how we put the greater one who's on the inside of us. That's how we put him to work. That's how we turn him loose. And I don't mind telling you, the God who is in you is bigger than sin. The God who is in you, if you're born again, you're a child of God, he's bigger than sickness, he's bigger than disease, he's bigger than poverty. Yes, he's a spirit, amen, but he's not a spirit of lack. He's not a spirit of fear. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind. You see, so we should say that to ourselves. I don't have a spirit of fear, and so I refuse to fear. Instead, I have a spirit of power, I have a spirit of love, and and I have a spirit of a sound mind. God is dwelling in me. He's bigger than any test. All things, no, no wonder Bible says in Mark 9:23 that all things are possible to him that believeth. See all things are possible to the believing one. Why? Because the God with whom all things are possible is on the inside of him. See the same Bible that says in Matthew 19:26 that with God all things are possible. Also says in Mark 9:23 that all things are possible to the believing one. You see all things are possible to us. Why? Because God is on the inside of us. What is he in us to do to put us over? So I learned as a young believer, and I do that regularly, I say that constantly, that the greater one is in me. He will live big in me. He will rise big in me. He will give illumination to my mind. He will give direction to my spirit. He will impart the way to my body. He will put me over in life. He will put me over in the ministry. I cannot be conquered. I'm a stranger to defeat. If a natural force comes against me, it cannot defeat me, because there aren't enough natural forces in all the world to face the God that lives in me. If a test or a trial comes against me, it cannot defeat me because the God, the master of creation, the all-knowing God, the all-wise God, the almighty God, he makes his abode in me. Praise God. See, that's how we're to talk. I say regularly, I'm led by the spirit of God. The guide is in me. I follow his leading. I count on the ability of God that is in me. I count on the wisdom of God that is in me. See, that's how to be God inside minded. We've got God on the inside of us and we need to know that. Praise the Lord. So the reality of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit will enable us to walk in victory, in triumph, and to fulfill the plans and the purposes of God for our lives. Praise the Lord.
1: You've been listening to Ramah Faith Radio Brought to you by the partners and friends of Ramah Nigeria We offer training in God's Word And in the things of the Spirit For victorious Christian living And success and fulfilling ministry Go to RamahNigeria.com To find out more on how to become a student Or partner of Ramah Bible Training Center Nigeria Please call 81 one The number again Kenneth Higgins Remo Bible Training Center, Nigeria is here just for you. Experience many moments that set you free and empower you for a victorious life at Rema Nigeria. Our impactful classes and curriculum has helped thousands of people like you. Professionals, business people, those in the academy as well as those in full-time ministry to maximize their vocation and calling. Due to the current restrictions of COVID-19, if you start your training with us online now, you can complete your entire program with us online if you so desire, even after we return to on-site classes. This offer closes 30th of September, so hurry up! Enroll with RBTC today. To enroll, visit www.dramonigeria.com forward slash apply online forward slash. Don't miss this opportunity to start and finish online or leave you register before September 30th. Yet. Call us today on 08101166836 The number again 08101166836 Kenneth Higgins Remo Bible Training Center Nigeria is here just for you.